you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here for Move the Sticks. Coming off a uh, what called a snoozer, Buck? We call that Monday Night Football game a little bit of a snoozer. Yeah, that was that was that was the Bengals. Man, that was tough to um, stay engaged in that one. That was that was that was, <laughs> that was a hard one. That was that was really for the love. That was for the love of the game. The way if you watched all four quarters of that, then you really loved the game because yo, you're uh, a better you man than me. Yeah, if you, you watched didn't get all four. A, you didn't get a competitive match. Not the match that you wanted to see. Yeah, we're going to get into that game a little bit. Won't spend too much time there. Some other ground we want to cover uh, today, in- including a, a discussion that I, I enjoy is in the scouting side of things is how do you differentiate between scouting the player versus scouting the scheme? And don't get caught up and make a mistake. Going to have a good conversation there about Gardner Minshew and some other players and uh, um, around that whole topic I think is really fascinating. We've got a great guest, Bill Keenest. Uh, one of the things that's cool about this podcast, I like introducing you guys to people that I've known for a while. Uh, and Bill Keenest was the uh, PR director there for the Detroit Lions for a long time. He's been with the Lions since 1985. And now Crazy. his official title is he's the, he's a team historian. So uh, people ask, well, you know, look, you guys really focus on the scouting side of things. You know, what? why have a PR guy on? Well, Bill Keenest has been around Barry Sanders, one of the all-time greats. Been around Calvin Johnson, one of the all-time greats. Want to find out what makes those guys tick, uh, not only on the field but off the field, and what made them special as well as I think he's got a unique insight um, – you know, through some of the down years they've had there in Detroit and what goes into that and, and what's that like to be a part of that. So looking forward uh, to that discussion. We've got some other topics on here as well, Buck. Yeah, the college football players to watch this weekend. You know, the draft is coming. We're always talking about the top prospects. So being able to kind of target some of the guys that we want to watch this weekend, some of the big games that are on tap, and then just kind of give you a taste of who the guys could be in the 2020 draft. 
All right, well, let's get to some of the news here. We do have a uh, uh, another injury for the Chargers. It feels like every week we've got a Chargers injury to talk about here. But Melvin Ingram, a little bit of a hamstring. Looks like he could be down for a couple weeks, according to our Ian Rappaport. Uh, but the one I want to focus on here, Bradley Chubb. Uh, man, I hate this. It torn ACL. He is out for the year. And uh, somebody that had a phenomenal rookie year, double-digit sacks, and was uh, expected to have a huge year this year. Now, they were a little bit slow to get going through the first three mm-hmm. games. And then you saw in this past game against the Jags, their pass rush with him and Von Miller uh, really got cranked up. And and I, I want to get your thoughts on this, Buck, because I tweeted this out, uh, landed on the team plane uh, back in Los Angeles after that cross-country flight. There's no Wi-Fi. So when there's no Wi-Fi on a plane, I've just got way too much time to think up weird stuff. And uh, how, what I how was that, thinking of How is that even possible that you didn't have Wi-Fi on the flight like that? They still don't have Wi-Fi. Like there's no Wi-Fi on the plane. Yeah, there's planes without Wi-Fi. So no Wi-Fi. So I knew that I knew, um, you know, as as we were, I don't know if I had figured it out before or when we landed, but I Denver ended up losing their game. I think we found that out before our plane took off. So I knew the Broncos were sitting there at uh, 0 for, right, 0-4. And, and you look at where that team is right now, and they just have tried bringing in new quarterbacks and trying to figure this thing out, and it just has not worked uh, with John Elway since they, they won that Super Bowl. And I, I sort of think, look, I'm not saying they're going to tank, but if you look at where this season's going, and I think they are mm-hmm. a good couple years away from being a playoff-caliber team, would they entertain the thought of trading Von Miller, who's still, in our opinion, I know we talk about this all the time on the show, the best edge rusher in the NFL. What could you get? I mean, if you look at what uh, Khalil Mack, you were able to get for Khalil Mack, you look at what uh, uh, we just saw Laramie Tunsil get traded for. If you really wanted to push the reboot button, uh, would you consider that? And my whole thing was, look, if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles who desperately need an edge rusher, um, haven't really got much edge rush so far this season, and you have a Super Bowl caliber team, I'm at least placing the phone call, right? It's, it, look, is there any chance, is there anything you would consider for Von Miller? Maybe it's a quick call. Maybe it's a 10 seconds. John Elway says, forget it. He's not going anywhere. But I think it's at least worth making that phone call, don't you? I just can't imagine why the Broncos would say yes to that deal because ultimately you trade Von Miller away, you come back with a handful of first-round picks. Who's going to pick the players? We've seen this track record of picking players. It hasn't been a great track record for the Broncos of late. Why give up what we know to be a sure thing for something that's a possible? Yeah, I'm, I'm holding on to this. I'm holding on to uh, the picks. I, I'm holding on to Von Miller. I'll let someone else try and do the picking to give me a player that's comparable value of Von Miller. Look, I don't think you want to get in the habit of trading premier, premier players. Uh, Von Miller's 30 years old right now, so he's still got a lot of good football left. I'm just looking at when you look at what he's making, what he's going to make, and you look at all of the holes on this roster, and you look at the fact if Chubb comes back healthy next year, you've got a double-digit premier sack guy already on the team. Now, I just I think it's something you have to look at. I think you have to say, okay, what could we do with all these assets if we were able to get them? And it would take a lot, uh, trust me, to pry somebody like that away. But not only would you get the picks, you'd free up the money to be able to go into free agency and try and fill some of the other holes. This team is not good, Buck, and they are a long way away from being good. Right, they're not good with the guys that you're entrusting to pick more players when you trade away Von Miller. <laughs> like, that's the, that's the only well, they thing. They got Bradley Chubb, right? Like, At least I they mean, got that one right. You know, so, so that would be... The the, the main concern, and, and I get it. I know 30 is the magic number. 30 is when we begin to look for performance to start declining. And so the cliff is coming. I'm just, man, I'm just worried about giving up a player who's still capable of giving you 14, 15, 16 sacks. He's a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, yeah. like it's whew, hard to just give those guys away. Yeah, I know. I just, man, it, it it's what happens, though, when you have misses. And when you have misses in the draft, you have roster holes, and they have not been able to figure it out, Buck. They just haven't no. been able to get the can't offensive get, line get, right out. Dalton the Reisner's looked like a good player. So they've got him, but still other holes along that offensive line, and they just they can't get going. And so it's to me, I just wonder about that whole cycle of, okay, we are a mediocre team, mediocre team. Do we need to go all the way down in order to come up? And that's something in every single sport teams are dealing with. And used to not be the case in the NFL, but now very much it is the case. Uh, so you see teams at least considering that. I, I mean, the difference between this and the Khalil Mack thing, I think Khalil Mack was like, what, 23, 24 years old when uh, um, the Raiders made that trade? I mean, that's a significant difference. Khalil Mack is that much younger? I thought Khalil Mack would be an older player because he was He's, like a fifth-year oh. player. Um, 
Buffalo, I'm going to pull it up right now. I'm going to pull yeah, it up. Yeah, like, keep going. I think they're close. You know, I think I think the bigger thing is you're right. Like Lil Mac is um, a little farther away from his prime in, in terms of when we expected declining. Lil Mac play. right now is 28 years old. So mm. they traded him when he was 27. 27 year old. Still a so three year he difference. Played all of last yeah, year. Yeah, still a significant three yeah. three year difference. Um, you know, it's tough because. Von Miller is a dominant player. He's he's the one player that if they get the other pieces right, you know he can give a level of dominance that can even upgrade the pass rush even that much more. Um, you remove him from the lineup, you get the picks, but then, man, you really got to build a team the right way. Uh, smaller more. And who's to say it's error. not players and picks? Yeah. It might be everything. might be all of the above. <laughs> I don't know. Look, look, at the end of the day, Buck, I'm with you. I don't I don't want to trade Hall of Fame players. I'm just telling you I think that, you know, when you when you look at it, I think you have to you have to just see what what you could get and uh and at least have that conversation in the building. I wouldn't have the courage to do it when it was all said and done. I don't think I could do it, but I do think that it's something that people, you know, you kick it around and talk about it, discuss and just see And what I mean, the, maybe maybe someone can entice you because maybe they throw a pick and a player at you, someone that you really feel good about performing. You know, so yeah. Who knows? I mean, I know they have to continue to work through it and continue to make decisions on what values do they assign to guys. And, you know, how do you quantify yeah. if they're a good player or if they're a starter, if they're a backup, all those other things. So I think there's a lot left to be learned. Uh, we just got to make got to make the best decision. You got to make the best decision for the franchise. And, man, this is a tough one if you're John Elway. Yeah, no doubt. Look, it, we're just we're spitballing here, throwing some stuff out there. Well, I I don't anticipate anything's going to happen with Von Miller, but it just kind of got my wheels turning. That's what happens with no Wi-Fi, man. My brain uh, my brain takes off and goes in weird places. All right, this game I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. This Monday night game was a butt kicking. The Steelers getting all over the Cincinnati Bengals. They're a bad football team. Mason Rudolph, twenty four twenty eight for two twenty nine, two touchdowns. I thought it was interesting though, Buck. Eighteen of those twenty four completions to tight ends and running backs. Hey, make it um, easy. We're seeing that a lot with these young players, man. Just hey. Get the ball out of your hand. Um, let those guys go. And when you've got, when you've got a huge talent gap between you and the opposition, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that philosophy at all. Just be safe. Get the ball out and let them go. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't agree with that philosophy. Not getting it to the back. Tight ends. I think. Look, I think. I, mean, I think it's easy. I mean, I, easy. I think. I think what's easy for Mason Rudolph is they try to do some of the things that are right at the line of scrimmage. If you were, they did that for a while, then they took that away. I felt like he became more confident as he had more opportunities later in the game. Uh, this was a tough game because no matter what we could say, like they, you, you're not always going to get like the best. The best efforts. You're not always going to get the A game. You're not going to get everything. And I think for Pittsburgh, whenever you lose, you lose a little bit of confidence. You wonder what your identity is going to be. And with Mason Rudolph, he's trying to figure out how to call the plays and to put his own stamp on it. And I feel like they finally found a little bit of a recipe. You saw James Conner. You saw Sam. You saw those guys kind of yin and yang when it came to the running back duties. And they were able to collectively go over 100 yards. As this team gets closer and closer to being able to Get to what I call these heavyweight fights. Will they have a tough enough mentality of fully sketched out identity that they can go and challenge these uh, division rivals with? How about this? You get eight sacks and nine tackles for loss. I mean, this is a uh, this is a Bengals offensive line. I look, some of it's not their fault. I mean, you have injuries. They're missing guys. Obviously, Jonah Williams, their first round pick. He's not out there. So uh, that's a big loss for that football team. Um, <laughs> but, man... Look, that is an all it is an all time bad. It's an all time bad offensive line, and there's there's Awful. there's candidates. We could do a whole piece on the five worst offensive lines in the NFL, and uh, there's <laughs> some of the worst offensive lines I've seen in a long, long time this year. There's some bad outfits, and hey, good on Definitely. the Steelers. You get an opportunity to go up against them. Take the batting practice. Go get your eight sacks and uh, pad those totals, and uh, and get you on to the next week. It was they did what they needed to do. They dominated that football game. They dominated football game, so you have to feel good about where they are and the next steps that they could be taking. The good thing for them, the Cleveland Browns got a win, so the, the Ravens didn't run away from the division. So the division is still there to be taken. 
Yeah, no doubt. A lot of injuries there for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, really across the board. Uh, it's going to be a long one for them. Everybody thinks the Miami Dolphins are going to go ahead and run away with this first pick. I don't know, man. The uh, Cincinnati Bengals might give them a little run. <laughs> uh, Jets, the Jets, Jets don't look so hot either. Uh, this is not a, a foregone conclusion. You know, Miami might accidentally fall into a win here. There could be in trouble. Um, all right, I want to get to this conversation. We talked about it a little bit at the top. Uh, skill versus scheme. And really focus on Gardner Minshew here because – this is a challenge. I know people have we, – we've talked about it. People have mentioned, you know, when you look at, you know, Pat Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, now Kyler Murray, we've seen guys come out of, the quote, unquote, that air raid mm-hmm. offense. But I don't think all air raids are the same. Uh, the only no. pure air raid is the one up at Washington State, and that's the one that Mike Leach operates. And that's where Gardner Minshew came out of. And I think – when you look at, you know, kind of dismissing guys from that system in the past and Gardner Minshew, okay, he's productive. Yeah, so is everybody else in this system. How does he fit? Um, that, to me, is where you earn your scouting chops because you have to be able to see through scheme and, and evaluate the player. And uh, mm-hmm. there were a lot of things there to like about Gardner Minshew. <laughs> there were a lot of things to like. Look, he was very productive. He threw the ball all over the yard, so he had enough tape to really kind of get a feel for who he is. You go down to the senior bowl, like he shows up, he throws it, he has a nice personality, he makes big throws, consistently kind of puts it in the strike zone. Then you get to his pro day, and you're like, look, he's with his own receivers, he's going to be comfortable, sparks it up. Lice it up. You see the arm talent. You see all the other stuff. So for me, I I think you have to figure out what is it exactly that we want to do on the pro level, which quarterbacks are perfectly designed to allow us to do those kind of things. And then you got to coach those things up. You get a coach. I mean, you get a coach up the finer details and the minor points of running it, but great offense, great opportunity. I think the big thing for, for everyone involved in this offense they got to make sure that they allow the running back to get to the next level. They get to the next level, that's when the big plays happen. Yeah, I, I, I want to go through a couple different positions here because this is the this is, again goes back into scouting and and not getting caught up in what they're asked to do versus what they can or can't do. Mm. Um, give you a couple examples. Even in that same offense, offensive tackles forever they're vertical set guys. In other words, they're they're dropping straight back in their sets. Yep. Um, not necessarily the most traditional thing. You don't see everybody in the NFL do that. So they're not uh, taking a traditional set. So a lot of times you would say, okay, well, I don't know if this guy can do this out of the other because they they don't do it. So you got to be able to see through that. And that's where the workouts come in. That's where all-star games come in to see these guys do different things. Um, you can look at tight ends that are never attached. Um, all they do is they're flexed out. And so a lazy scout would say, okay, well, this guy can't mm-hmm. help us in the run game. He's just a t- detached tight end. Well, that's, again, where you've got to hopefully see him in an all-star setting. If not, you get him in a workout setting. Get him on bags. Does he have any snap? Um, watch him when he does have to block when he's detached. Does he even give you some effort? I don't care if it's a corner or safety, but he's yep. at least showing you some want to. Um, that's what you have to look through there. Safeties, Buck. So, so many NFL teams now want your safeties to be able to come down and play man. And you might see a guy in college who just plays high the whole time. And, again, lazy scout. Ah, this guy can't play man coverage. You don't know that. He's not asked to do that. I know. So how do you, you got to be able to sort through those things and be able to decipher the difference between not being asked to do something and not being able to do something. I think there are two distinct things. And I think you have to be able to really dig down deep. And some of this is with the assistant of the coaching staff, them telling you exactly what was the plan how did you view him coming on screen how do you view him playing in this offense or whatever and then taking how he played in that offense and trying to get a good gauge of that versus a good gauge of you know on the other end and so for me I want these guys to intermingle because I think you're ultimately going to learn something about it so it works for me yeah and I also think man it's it's uh it's so easy to scout players that are asked to do these things. So in other words, not only does Alabama and Georgia, Clemson, not only they have good players, but everything that they do, Buck, is what the NFL is doing. And they're asking those guys to do that thing. So, I mean, that's, it it is convenient scouting. It's more difficult when you go to, to programs where they're a little outside the box. And look, to win at Washington State, you can't run the same offense and run the same plays and in the same no. that, that Clemson, Georgia. You can't do that. You've got to be a little bit different. So um, that's where, again, that's where you need good scouts. I can send anybody. Uh, I can send anybody to Georgia, Alabama, Clemson. They can tell me who the players are. That ain't hard. Uh, you feel, you earn your money when you go to these places where they're operating in different in different setting and a different setup and being able to. Um, yeah. uh, what's the word that we always use there? The difference between college scouting and pro scouting. You got to be able to project. Um, and that's where the challenge comes. Yeah, the, the, the challenge does come into projection. Um, it's the most difficult thing that 
college scouts have to do as opposed to their pro sports brethren. College scouts are about the entire squad being responsible for the team, not letting your team down. Got to be um, available. So it's one of those things where when we, we're looking at scheme, skill, how it fits, who understands players, who can elevate players through their play call, and who understands how to put the right personnel in the mix. And, and this goes back to a conversation that I had with Hugh Jackson when he was the offense coordinator at the time in Cincinnati. What he told me was everything is about the quarterback. So if your quarterback is a spread quarterback and he plays spread in high school and college, you need to build your offense around those things because that's what he knows. It also means that the personnel that you pick also have to fit that um, that agenda, meaning so if I'm a team that wants to run certain things out of spread with my quarterback, well, I may need the OBJs, Jarvis Landry types that can run slants in this quick rousing, take those and be able to take them to the house. If I'm a guy who max protects and I have to take a deep shot, that is different. And so a lot of it is knowing the personnel that you have, but also knowing the personnel that you don't have and trying to figure out where do I want to go. Yep, no doubt. Um, all right, that was a fun little chat there, and that's uh, one of the challenges there for anybody when you're in the evaluation business. you got to evaluate scheme and skill and be able to sort all that stuff out. All right, let's get to our interview here. Looking forward to this. Again, I mentioned it at the top. I, I want you guys to uh, get a chance to know some of the people I know. And uh, Bill Keenis, uh, somebody I met a long time ago who's uh, been with the Detroit Lions for a very long time. He started there in 1985 as the assistant PR director and went on to be there, the head of PR there for a long time and now is the official historian for the Detroit Lions. And uh, really looking forward to this conversation, a chance to, to learn a little bit more about some of the great players he's had a chance to be around as well as some of the, the tough years there in Detroit. Here's our conversation with Bill Keenest. Well, Bill, it's great to, great to be with you. I guess my first question for you is uh, 1985, you take a job yep. with the Detroit Lions. Did you imagine yeah. the longevity you would have with that one organization at that point in time? No, I really didn't, DJ. And uh, very blessed, certainly, to be with the franchise for, for now my 35th season and be able to raise our family in one place, uh, have the kids you know, stay put, and uh, very fortunate. You know, Bill, in, th in thinking about that, because it is hard for, I mean, you just don't see people stay with one team, right. uh, how rare is it to have that kind of loyalty, not only from you to the team, but from the team to yourself? I think it's a testament to the Ford family, to Mr. Ford, to Mrs. Ford, and uh, what they value in their employees, the loyalty and uh, the work ethic. And um, I, I really am indebted to the family. And you're right, Bucky. Um, I remember, I think it was probably in the 90s, we had an assistant coach and they had five children, he and his wife, and their kids never went to the same school more than two consecutive years. And they had been wow. like 12 Crazy. different places. So, and, and I will say this though, that um, a number of those families, those coaches that I met, um, you know, they were tight because they had each other. And uh, when they would, you know, be uprooted, uh, I think, there were some benefits to that, certainly, but uh, I, I, I would say that, you know, my situation, our situation has been uh, wonderful that we've been able to raise the family here in Michigan and uh, call it home. Well, I want to get to uh, your experiences around some of the all-time great players in the NFL, specifically right. about Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson. But, yeah. uh, Bill, one of the things that I've learned and getting to know you over the years is uh, just the storytelling uh, that you have. You've been around so many different events and markers in NFL yeah. history. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I want to get your story on the on the 87 strike because I know you've got a good right. story there on what took place there. Right. So before we get into those guys, tell sure. me about that one. Okay. Um, and I just shared this with someone the other day. Uh, we were talking about the 87 strike and the replacement players. And um, as you remember, the, the first weekend that the players went on strike, the games were canceled. And then the teams had prepared for the eventuality of a strike. And so every team signed essentially players off the street. And um, we, we ended up playing three games. And um, our second game, our third game actually, was against Seattle at the Silverdome. And by the third week, a number of regular players had crossed the picket line. So a lot of teams had, I mean, 
some teams had future Hall of Fame players that had crossed the picket line and were playing in these games against strike players. And we played in the Silverdome and we're playing Seattle and Steve Largent had come across the line and Jeff Kemp, the quarterback, had come across the line, two regular players. And um, wow. Chuck Knox was the head coach of Seattle. And in the first half, Steve Largent had, I believe, 18 catches. Mm. I mean, he could have obliterated <laughs> the record books, right? And every record stood. Everything was historical in nature. Um, they, they beat us pretty bad that day, and they were up, up big at halftime. And to Chuck Knox's credit, um, Steve didn't play in the, in the second half. So post-game press conference, our head coach is Daryl Rogers, and predictably one of the first questions that he gets asked is, Daryl, uh, we noticed that you double teamed Steve Largent in the first half, and it really didn't work. Did you ever think about triple teaming him? And Daryl, real deadpan, his answer was, why embarrass three guys? That was his response. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was classic. And uh, there were a lot of tales from the strike like that. Um, when we brought the players in the first time, we met in the locker room and I had put on their locker or on their, their benches in front of the locker, athletic tape with a Sharpie. And I had written my, I had written on my uh, a tape on my, my shirt, my name. And I said, I want everybody to put your names on there. We don't know you. We're gonna get to know each other. And this is how we're gonna do it. So it was, it was quite an experience wow. that strike year. Hey, look, yeah. you have, Bill, you've had wow. tremendous experiences. Um, you've seen the ups and downs with the organization. Right. You've seen a bunch of yeah. different coaches come through. Uh, mm -hmm. What is it like after you've seen your team have success to see them at their lowest mark, that mark where they're 0-16 and they're struggling? Right. What are kind of the differences between either how the leadership handles it or how the players respond mm -hmm. to the guys that are the so-called leaders? Right. You know, I, uh, I remember that year so vividly and primarily, not because of the, the futility, the record, because of how Rod Marinelli handled it. Um, a man's man, um, one of the most um, impressive people I'll ever know in my life. And he never made excuses, he owned it. Um, we fought and he kept the team together, Bucky, despite that reality mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end of that season and what what has stuck with me from that is the way that Rod handled it, his leadership through the most difficult times imaginable for an NFL head coach. And I remember walking off the field with him at Green Bay, the final game. We were down big. We came back and tied the game in the fourth quarter against the very good Packer team. We fought till the end. And what I, what I take from it is just Rod's integrity, his character, his attitude, and, and the fact that the team stayed together despite what we went through. And mm -hmm. um, that's a, a life lesson that I believe everybody associated with that, with that team that year, certainly the players, um, take with them forever. Yeah, there was no quitting that team. I remember it. It was a lot of fight no. uh, week in and week out. Just didn't yeah. then end up getting the scoreboard uh, where you wanted it there. All right, right. Bill, I, I want to get to these yeah. two great players. And let's start with yeah. Barry Sanders. Just the, uh, yeah. the the first time you met Barry Sanders, the first time he walked through that mm -hmm. door, and how long did it take you before you realized, okay, this is something different? Barry was, uh, was, was humble from day one. He was very quiet, very humble. Um, and we signed him late in camp. And, um, and we had the, the opening press conference. Um, actually, after we drafted him, we had our, our first press conference with him. And what, what I was most impressed with is we had a, we had a slogan that year um, with Wayne Fonts, Wayne's first year as the uh, permanent head coach, and it was restore the roar. We wanted to restore the roar. And during Barry's inductory press conference, he, he said, I want to be one of the players that helps restore the roar. So from a PR perspective, I was like, wow, this guy's pretty, pretty sharp. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, and I didn't, I didn't co coach him on that. He just, he just came up with it. Yeah. Um, but he was incredibly humble, incredibly um, team-oriented. And, um, I mean, even that rookie year, I mean, he, he didn't play until the second half of our first game against the, against the Cardinals at the Silverdome. And um, when he walked on the field, the place erupted. It wasn't a big crowd, quite honestly, but uh, it erupted. 
And first time he touched the ball, he goes 18 yards, and the place just gets even louder. He scored a touchdown in the game. We lost the game, but we knew we were, we were looking at greatness. And um, as you guys may remember from that rookie year, um, we go into the final weekend, and Barry is 70 yards behind Christian Okoye for the NFL rushing title. So back then, technology obviously mm-hmm. wasn't what it is today. This is 1989, and we're playing in Atlanta, and Kansas City and Christian Okoye are playing at Miami. So we wanted to keep track because we believed Barry had a chance to, to catch Okoye for the, for the rushing title. So I had a separate phone line installed in the old Fulton County press box in Atlanta so I could talk to my counterpart, Harvey Green, from the Dolphins and get an immediate update on how Okoye is doing in the game, right? So I'm constantly monitoring Okoye. You know, I obviously know what Barry's doing. We went up uh, on Atlanta like 31-7 in that game, so we had a, a pretty comfortable game. They made it close at the end, but we controlled the majority of the game. So I get the word from Atlanta that Okoye, I think he had 98 yards, mm-hmm. he's done. And Barry's close to 150, so I'm constantly sending the information <laughs> to the sidelines and relaying it to Wayne Fonts, who wanted to know. And then as the story goes, we're up, you know, in the fourth quarter. Barry was at 158 yards, 10 yards behind Okoye, 10 Ooh. yards. And Wayne mm-hmm. is talking to him on the sideline, and Barry, he says, you know what? I played enough. Let Tony Page, our backup running back, wow. um, let him go in, and, and he deserves a chance to play in the game. Um, wow, right? Wow. So, as it turned wow. out, Barry finished 10 yards behind Christian Okoye, but what people probably don't remember, now think about this, Barry did that on 90 fewer carries mm. than Okoye. 90. And he was only 10 yards. Wow. But the, the one, aside from just everybody being astounded at, mm-hmm. at this humble superstar, what happened after the game, and again, technology and communication, there was no Twitter, no social media, none of that back then. But some way, somehow, there was this, this buzz that we took Barry out of the game so he couldn't get a bonus for leading the league in rushing and this and that. CBS did the game. The producer is um, you know, all over me about this information. I said, no, Barry didn't. He took himself out. It was legit. And mm-hmm. so they, they, they weren't believing it. So they were going to go on the postgame show with some story suggesting that maybe, you know, there was more to it than, than appeared. And I literally had to get Barry out of the shower in, in the stadium, in the locker room, so he could come out and tell the, the producer, no, that's what happened. I, I wanted my teammate to get some wow. playing time because he deserved it. Yeah. That's unbelievable. I mean, and how yeah. fortunate are you to not only see a, a great player like Barry Sanders, but to have another yeah. generational talent and Calvin Johnson um, right. to kind of show up. And what was it like watching Calvin Johnson kind of grow into the megastar that he became in the National Football League? I'll go back to, um, to the, the draft weekend, Calvin's draft weekend. Um, and the draft was on Saturday. The first, the first round was on Saturday that day, 2007. And um, we bring him in on Sunday for the press conference. Um, and... Mm-hmm. The Tigers were hosting the White Sox in a big series that weekend. The games were sold out. So, you know, the, we have the press conference. And I had mentioned to Calvin when mm-hmm. I had talked to him the day before or after we drafted him if he'd be interested in throwing out the first pitch at Comerica Park. And um, he said, sure, sure. Um, so we made arrangements. I actually brought in a couple gloves from home thinking he might want to warm up a little bit, right? You know, just want him to look good, yeah. don't want to have him yeah. on Sports Center that night, you know, throwing the ball yeah. uh, 10 be feet 50 over cent. The, the catcher's head. Right. So uh, we, I get with him, and uh, I suggest, you know, you want to warm him. He says, no, I'm, I'm good. Oh, okay. So <laughs> one of my assistants takes him to Comerica. I stay back because we're still doing the draft. And Calvin takes no warm-ups. Mm. And normally, for the first pitch, you go in front of the mound. He walks right up to the mound, yeah. toes the rubber, and fires a fastball. And the whole place, I guess, just went, whoa! I mean, because Calvin was an exceptional <laughs> baseball player. 
but he fired it right over the plate. Um, and uh, so you knew this, this guy had some special gifts. Um, I, uh, I also remember his, his rookie year, one play that stood out, um, and this was sort of the beauty and the beast, I, I think, as I, as I recall. But we were playing a game at Philadelphia, and John Kitna was a quarterback and threw a, a go route to him. And I swear Calvin was six feet off the ground, parallel to the surface, and he came right down on his back. And I thought, you know, his physical gifts, his God-given physical gifts are such that he's going to be able to do things that no one else can do and unfortunately put him in positions like that because there were two or three defenders on him and they took him to the ground and he laid there for a while and, and, uh, and hurt his back. Um, but his, his physical ability was just remarkable for a guy that size, uh, that, that big, that strong, that fast. Well, you mentioned, I want to get so. to the humility aspect of it because it's so unusual. Yeah. You talk about Barry Sanders, right. how humble he was, obviously. Yeah. Um, but right. Calvin Johnson yeah. in a position that really – you don't see a lot of guys right. with that type of humility. Right. But just, just yeah. give us a little insight there, what Calvin right. was like well, away from the football field. Well, and, and this, is, this is a personal story because it involved my sons. But um, I think it was 2012, uh, the Tigers, again, we're talking baseball here. The Tigers have a Negro mm -hmm. League celebration weekend. And they invited Calvin down to participate in some of the activities. And... Um, to, to honor the Negro Leagues of, of baseball. And part of it, you know, was going to include throwing out the first pitch again. But Calvin, um, Calvin actually wanted to go down early and take some BP. So we go down and we get there early. And, of course, seeing him next to Miguel Cabrera was, or some of the Tiger players was pretty amazing because yeah. Cabrera is one of the biggest baseball players in the majors, and Calvin was towering over him. Um, but, you know, had a good interaction in the locker room with the guys. And then uh, he goes, takes a BP, hits one out of Comerica. So he gets his home run and then throws out the first pitch, what have you. So the Tigers gave us a sweep for the game. And Kellen had invited some of his teammates to join him at the game and, and for the celebration. Well, fortunately, I was able to have my two sons come down and a couple of their friends. So... It turned out that the Pirates were, or the Tigers were playing the Pirates, Justin Verlander's pitching, and I've had a long day, so I leave in about the third inning. I get home, and Verlander's pitching a no-hitter. Mm. And it's the fifth inning, oh, wow. sixth inning, seventh inning, eighth inning, and I'm so excited because my sons are going to get to see a no-hitter by Justin Verlander, one of the yeah. greatest pitchers of all time. So I had planned to, to go home and, and, you know, go to sleep early, but I stay up because I want to see my boys when they come home to talk about this. You, you, you know, saw history tonight. As it turned out, the no-hitter was broken up in the ninth inning, but still a remarkable game. Sold-out crowd, the energy, the fans going crazy on every pitch. Um, so they come home, and I'm so excited. And before I could say a word, they tell me, Dad, you can't believe how nice Calvin was. He sat between us at the game and talked to us the whole night about what we were doing, about college, about school, about their career aspirations. So here's a guy who sits wow. with my sons and their mm -hmm. friends, and the entire game engages with them to such a degree that my, my kids didn't even talk about the almost no hitter. They're talking about Kelvin Johnson, a superstar, taking such an interest in a couple young, they were, they were in college at the time, college students, and um, that's wow. the type of humble superstar he was. He really you know, cared about people. And Barry obviously was the same way. I, I, I have a number of uh, you know, awesome. stories about him and his, his humble approach. Uh, and and I'll, I'll gladly share one of those with you if you if, if yeah, give me time. give me a Barry story here. This is like I feel like I'm by the okay. fireside <laughs> right now here. Give me one yeah. on Barry. <laughs> um, I, I swear this is the best part of this career, just the memories and the stories. But um, I got two yeah. great great Barry stories. Um, the the story about his humble approach. Um, we were playing in London in '93 in the preseason. That was the old American Bowl series. And we're playing the Cowboys in August of 93. And we're over there for an entire week. 
and we're staying at the Intercontinental Hotel, Hotel downtown London. And what we had done, our organization, we had created a pin for every member of our traveling party to wear at all times. Sort of like a press pin you might get at a Super Bowl or whatever, but it was to identify every member of our traveling party. Um, you know, that, that's why we created the pin. And this was players, coaches, mm -hmm. staff, media. We had media travel with us, all the team, executives, everybody. So the other thing we did was that the London Hard Rock Cafe was right around the corner, about a block away from the hotel. And back then, the London Hard Rock was the Hard Rock. That's where everybody wanted to go to get your T-shirt from the London Hard Rock Cafe. And as we learned prior to the trip that it was impossible to get in there, the line stretched, you know, a city block. But we made an arrangement with the management there that members of our party didn't have to wait in line. They could go to the front of the line if they had their pin on. So another reason why we wanted mm -hmm. everybody to wear their pins. So it was the Friday night before we played on Sunday, played the Cowboys that Sunday. So it was a Friday night. And two or three of our beat writers, reporters from the Detroit papers, um, were going to go to the Hard Rock. So they had their pins on, right? So they turn a corner and the line's forever. But they got their pins on, so they're going right mm -hmm. to the front of the line. So as they told me the story, they, they're walking, and about halfway down the line... Guess who's standing there all by himself? Barry. Barry Sanders. Yeah. And Barry being, you know, very proper, he's got his pin on, yeah. right? So the, the reporters yeah. see Barry. And, hey, Barry, how you doing? You know, they have a little exchange. And they go, Barry, you got your pin on. Hey, we, we can go to the front of the line. You don't have to wait in line. You know, we got our pins on. That's the deal. Yeah. And he sort of you know, shakes his head, and, yeah, okay, uh, you know what, that's okay. I'll just stand here like everybody else and wait. And he stood there, and they wow. went to the front of the line. But, I mean, think about that. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would have done that, that's honestly. Um, yeah. But um, so that, that just shows how humble he was. He didn't want the special treatment. He mm -hmm. stood there and probably waited another hour to get in to the Hard Rock. Um, to get his Hard Rock to... T-shirt, Barry Sanders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but the so good. Uh, I, yeah, I I think my my favorite. I don't know if it's my favorite Barry story. It's hard to say. You have a favorite, but uh, Bucky will appreciate this. I know being a former player. So it was the end of our '96 season, and it was a rough year. It ended up being Wayne Fonts's final season. Um, we started out four and two, but then would only win one game the rest of the year, and things were going south, um, and it ended up being Wayne's last year. So we're playing uh, San Francisco on a Monday night. Um, we're practicing on Friday. We're leaving on Saturday. We're going out two days in advance. And this is the last week of December, and I get a call from Associated Press in New York that Barry has been another unanimous selection to the All-Pro team. So they're going to announce the All-Pro team later that afternoon. So Dave Goldberg from AP asked me if I could get a couple quotes from Barry um, so they could use it in their story when they, when they uh, ran the story on that year's All-Pro team. And I said, of course, I'll, I'll get Barry. We're about to start practice. Let me see what I can. If I can get him before practice, I will. Otherwise, I'll get him after practice. So I run down the locker room and... Uh, it's close to the start of practice. I tell Barry what's going on. He said, see me right after practice. You know, I'll give you whatever you need. So practice ends. I'm, I'm tending to Wayne Fonts and his media obligations for about 10, 15 minutes after practice. I go back into the locker room. And by this time, I swear half the players were already gone. Okay. It was the last mm. practice at the Silverdome that season. It was a rough year. Guys just wanted to get out of there. Um, Barry's clothes are still in his locker, but I can't find him. I go in the training room. He's not getting treatment for anything. I peek in the meeting rooms. I can't find him. So I'm thinking, is he doing any interviews that I, I wasn't aware of? So I go back out onto the field. Now, this is inside the Silverdome, and there's nobody on the mm -hmm. field. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe he forgot. Um, Barry could be absent-minded mm -hmm. at times. Um, so I'm standing in the tunnel in the Silverdome, 
And I'm just thinking, okay, I'm gonna have to drive over to his house maybe, I'm not sure. Um, even though his clothes were still in the locker, he may have just decided to leave. Um, so for some reason, we had a weight room that was off the tunnel under the stands before you went out onto the field at the Silverdome. So something, you know, I don't know what it was, caused me to open that door. So I opened the door to the weight room and I hear the weights clanking in there. I turn the corner and there's one player in there, one player, Barry Sanders. And he sees me wow. and he says, mm. oh, okay, okay, uh, give me a half hour. I just wanna get a little, I wanna get a lift in. I wanna get a work on it, okay. So I go back up to my office, come down probably 20, 25 minutes later, go to the locker room, which is dark now. There's nobody there. Clothes are still in the locker, okay? Um, so I go to the weight room. And then I'm starting to panic because the weight room is dark too. It's dark mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh my gosh, he forgot. So I go back out into the tunnel and I'm just sort of thinking, okay, I'm gonna have to drive over to this house, blah, blah, blah. But now, just like before with the weight room, I get some kind of premonition or some you know, <laughs> poke to go out onto the field, okay? Now, if you can visualize this, this is the last week of December, as I said. It's a cold, gray Michigan day. Um, and by this time, all the lights were out in the Silverdome except for a, a, a ring of safety lights. So it almost had like a spaceship mm -hmm. type effect when you walked in there. So I mm -hmm. opened the door, it's dark again, <laughs> except for the lights. And at about the 50 yard line, there's a single solitary figure running gassers, Barry wow. Sanders. Golly. And I'm getting chills yeah. as I tell you this, like yeah. I do every time I tell it, because I'm thinking, chills. this is greatness. This is greatness, nobody's watching. And that's what they say, a true, a true measure of character is when no one's watching and nobody was watching and he's getting a workout in, he gets a, a, a lift and he's running sprints, he sees me waves and I just wait there and I just think there's no way to really describe this because that's greatness. That, that you know, it's not a coincidence that he's as great as he, he was. And then the postscript oh. to that story, we go out to San Francisco and Barry is 160 yards behind um, Terrell Davis for the NFL rushing lead. Uh, Terrell had, had played on Sunday. So Barry, we go into that game, Barry's 160 yards behind him. The 49ers mm -hmm. going into that game had the NFC's number one rushing defense, right? Okay? <laughs> mm -hmm. So what's gonna happen? Mm. It's predictable, right? Barry puts 175 yeah. on them, including one you guys have seen the highlighted. It was a 54-yard yeah. run where he did a did a 180, spun around, and spun went around. the distance. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that that's that something so I'll never great. forget about Barry. The work ethic, you know, just the, the approach and um, and just the way he was very special, very special. Well, Bill, that I. I yeah. cannot thank you enough, not only uh, just getting to hear these yeah. stories and our listeners getting to hear them, but, man, when I get a chance to speak with kids, right. that is a Barry Sanders story yeah. that I promise you. Uh, Bucky will be doing with his team right. as well For sure. um, as a high school coach. But get yeah. a chance to share that with yeah. kids. There's a reason why guys right. are as successful as guys like Barry Sanders. Bill, thank you so no much question. for your time, man. We, we so appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, DJ. Thank you, Bucky. All right, Buck. Fun to catch up with, uh, with Bill, man. That's a uh, – it's commendable. In a day where so many people are switching jobs and bouncing all over the place, he has been with that same team since 1985. Pretty incredible. Well, I mean, think about that. Think about the loyalty that has been shown on both sides. The fact that he never pursued other jobs. The fact that they never looked for someone who can help them. The fact that they were able to get it right. And so that's how it's supposed to be. Like, if football is really about being a family. It's about being able to be together, have grown conversations, do all those things. So it is terrific to have him being able to share those stories to let us kind of get a glimpse of what's going on in that Lions family, um, the way that he is able to kind of just articulate some of the history. Uh, to me, it was tremendous. Yeah, good to catch up with him. I, I, on that thought there on the Lions, I thought it would be fun. Um, just talking about two of the all-time great players when you when you think about Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson. So I don't we don't have anybody in the game right now that compares to either one of them. Uh, they were so dynamic and so special. But I thought it'd be fun just to say who who do you think is the closest thing we have to these two players? Let's start with Barry Sanders. Just in today's football, Buck, is there anybody that you see just a little hint, a little uh, a little glimpse there of Barry Sanders? Um, you know, I can see a little bit of it in Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is a better pass catcher. He is better. Um, 
doing things outside of the backfield than Barry Sanders was. But I like the juice, the suddenness, the stop-start quickness, and the ability to take it the distance. Christian McCaffrey is underrated in my estimation. I don't believe he necessarily needs to rate um, right at the Barry Sanders level, but he's a terrific young player with all kinds of uh gadgets and gimmicks that make it very, very tough to slow him down. I like the fact that McCaffrey is fully utilized in this offense in Carolina. Yeah, the challenge, trying to find somebody like Barry Sanders, though, is the, is the unique body type. I mean, he's a fire plug, uh, the way he was built. And, you know, the, the one I came up with, and there is nobody close, but Dalvin Cook, who's mm. a little bit lower to the ground, um, who's, who's got some of that same shiftiness. Barry Sanders can make you miss. The stop-start quickness that he, that he possesses is ridiculous. I see a little bit of that from Dalvin Cook. And also, a lot of home runs. Barry Sanders, a lot of home runs. Maybe mm-hmm. a negative play here or there, but then uh, you hit you with 50-67. I think Dalvin Cook has that same type home run ability. Um, so I would say Dalvin Cook now, Dalvin Cook hasn't totally been immersed in the passing game. Barry yeah. Sanders was not as involved in the passing game. So uh, that's why McCaffrey, I thought about McCaffrey, but McCaffrey's just a totally... <laughs> He is, but you know what I was thinking? I was, I was thinking. Barry played. Yeah, I was thinking more so just like running style, stop start quickness in the hole to be able to, be able to yeah. kind of reverse fields and do those things. He's the only one that strikes me in today's game that could be even close to even be comparable uh, to what my man was for so long in Detroit. Yeah. Did you play against Barry, by the way? I did. I played against him on a couple of different occasions. No, I did not register a tackle against Barry Sanders. Like he, he, <laughs> he, he might have been like up there. Like the rivalry between Green Bay and Detroit is such a fierce rivalry that one time I think we went up there and they obliterated us, which was unusual. But man, if he gets going early, it's going to be an all day suck. I mean, he's something. So else. you know, Matt. You know, you know. You know Matt Russell. So Matt Russell yeah. works for the Denver Broncos and uh, was a great you know, college player, great linebacker. Then he played with the Detroit Lions. So I was on the road um, with, with Russell, and this is – gosh, this had to be maybe, uh, maybe like 07, 08-ish, something like that, and, and you'd see all the different scouts out on the road. So I see Matt, and uh, he's wearing some really nice like blue Nikes, but they're kind of old-school uh, Nikes. <laughs> But they look brand new. And so I'm like, Russ, man, those are some nice kicks you got there. He's like, oh, yeah, great story on these. And I go, what's that? He goes, well, you know, Barry Sanders had just boxes. Nike had sent him just boxes and boxes and boxes of shoes. That's funny. So I'm on the team. He gave him, he gave Matt, like, just like, you know, I don't know how many pairs it was, 10 different pairs of these Nikes. Um, and so Russell, this is like 10, 15 years later. He's still wearing these brand new shoes because he's got so many of them that uh, Barry Sanders has just given him. Uh, it was classic, but uh, uh, no, he was an incredible, incredible player. We really, to be honest, Buck, we have nothing like Barry Sanders in the game right now. Just no, nothing. I mean, like you're talking about a guy with exceptional stop-start quickness, uh, terrific balance body control, um, does a great job of creating explosive plays. Um, as a guy who is primarily a run-only player, the fact that he's able to have, I mean. It's just unbelievable that he has been able to just be a one-dimensional player but have so much success. That really speaks volumes about your greatness. All right, let's get to, to a Megatron here, Calvin Johnson. Before we get to a comparison, I can tell you my, uh, my, my Calvin Johnson scouting story. I remember going to watch him. They were playing against Maryland. This was Dominic Foxworth was there at Maryland, so I was going there to watch him and Calvin Johnson. <laughs> you came out there for warm-ups. And I saw Calvin Johnson, and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And then, uh, and I hadn't seen tape on him at this point in time. I was just going to go watch the live mm-hmm. game and then come back and hit the tape afterwards. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a big, good-looking dude. But, you know, man, just, we'll see him. He's probably, what, like a 4'6 guy. And then you see him take off uh, off the line, and you're like, nope, he's a 4'3 guy. Uh, mm-hmm. At that 6'5", 240 pounds, just an absolute freak show. I've never seen anything like him. You know, I wasn't scouting when Randy Moss came into the NFL. Uh, but even with Randy, I mean, Calvin was, what do you think, 30 pounds heavier than Randy? I mean, just yep. never seen anything like him. You know, it's, it's it's tough because the Calvin Johnson that I remember is the one that is a dominant player. He, he's unguardable. And think about being granted, like, two wishes when you can have, like, a Calvin, like a, a Calvin Johnson and a Barry Sanders. I really don't know which one you decide. But in terms of Calvin Johnson in the league – it's tough because there's no one that has that 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 size, that physicality, the the playmaking ability. I and would say speed. a younger Demarius Thomas would, in a way, remind me of that, but he wasn't as natural catching the ball. Um, Same school. 
you know, like going going all the way back, maybe like Her- Herman Moore when he played at Detroit. Like yeah, but Herman Moore. Similar, I know, like I know, he 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 couldn't. The young Herman Moore that I played against in college is that. I just don't know. If I've seen anybody do this stuff to Kevin, like, I don't know who can you find that's 6'5", that runs sub 4'4", and lights it up and can catch the ball off the top of the backboard or outrun you on a vertical route. Like, I think that's what truly makes Calvin Johnson special. I, I mean, I just can't look around To me, it's and Julio, see. but Julio's two inches, about two inches shorter. Julio's a good 6'3 and change, so I, I think there's probably a two inches difference there. Maybe inch and a half. I have to go back and look at the combine stuff, but that to me, Julio with his you know size, speed, you know just freakish combination there, and ability to run after the catch, ability to get on top of coverage. That to me is the closest thing that we have. You know, Mike Evans with some of those ball, some of the ball skills that Calvin had, um, but Mike Evans is a four-five guy. You know, yes. so there's not that same top speed that you have with Calvin Johnson. So it's again, it's, it's hard I mean, to it's find. Tough. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to find. It's hard, it's hard to find someone that can come in and and play that style to be singled up one-on-one and to dominate it like that. To dominate it with your size, your speed, your physicality, your toughness. He can do it all, and you know, it's, it's just, I, I mean. I don't know. It's kind of refreshing when we talk about both of these guys, Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson, the way that they acted and conducted themselves are exactly how you want them guys to be. All right, let's get to some college here. Uh, to me, Ohio State was kind of the big story from this last weekend outside of your, your Tar Heels almost winning a ball game. But uh, Justin Fields, Jeffrey Okuda, um, two players. Justin Fields, obviously not draft eligible. We've talked about him, though, for the future and, and what mm-hmm. we saw from him. Your take on him as well. Jeffrey Okuda got a couple picks in that game. He was one of the best corners in the, uh, in the country. Well, I tweeted this out on Saturday after watching Justin Fields versus Nebraska that when it's all said and done, Fields is going to be the bell of the ball when it comes to that quarterback market. Um, He is a guy who has a rare combination of size, strength, arm talent, athleticism, movement skills. He has all of it right there. And then when you think about building an offense around somebody, you can use your first or maybe even your second pick on someone who can alleviate uh, the pressure on him. My thing with Justin Fields has been watching him play for Ryan Day and watching him get into some of these pro-style things like some of the, the 20, 21 personnel, some of the 12 personnel and allow him to kind of play really as a quarterback and not as an athlete playing quarterback. When you look at his competitive drive and how he's gotten better and better and better each week, I think by the end of the season, we're going to be talking about a guy who has very, very special numbers and who is going to be considered a special project prospect. Yeah, and, and so if people, if you aren't listening carefully there, Buck, what, what you're saying is that Trevor Lawrence and all the buzz about Trevor Lawrence, same class, Justin Fields, mm-hmm. is at the end of the day is going to end up surpassing Trevor Lawrence. I think and so. I, look, I, I think so. I, I go back to that. I go back to the Elite 11. I go back to uh, watching them up there at the opening. And uh, as good as Trevor Lawrence was, Justin Fields was the dude there. Everybody came into that week talking about Trevor Lawrence. And I, I was up there, watched all the seven-on-seven seven stuff, and mm-hmm. I know it's not real football, it's seven-on-on-seven, seven, but just watching. Just but you get Fields a taste. Was, he was a better player in that setting. Man, but you get a taste of what he is and what he's all about, and I think that's the thing, and I think that's what more people will begin to appreciate. And I know he has some issues at, at Georgia, whatever people may allege him to be or whatever, like, but there were some things about immaturity and the like. And I understand all that. It's hard being a star in like an area that's close to your hometown. It's hard. Now that he's away from all that, now he's able to focus 100% on ball and get it down. I think we're going to see the guy that we thought that we would see coming out of high school. He is just a very impressive, impressive thrower, and I think they're going to put him in a situation where they find a way to create easy opportunities for him to have an impact on the game. Well, I've got some good news for every NFL fan of a crappy team. The, there's a couple reasons why your team is crappy. I'm going to guess one of them is probably you're not getting great quarterback play. We've got some quarterback depth coming up in this upcoming draft class, so you're going to have some options there. But the other thing, and I mentioned it earlier, there are so many, I mean, just awful offensive lines, and nine times out of ten it starts on the edges where they just don't have tackle play. 
this is shaping up to be a very good group of tackles in mm-hmm. the upcoming draft. And I had a chance to, to watch a bunch of these guys. Uh, a name to keep an eye on, Makai Belton, uh, or Becton, sorry, from Louisville, who is yep. a big, hulking Trent Brown 2.0 type player. Um, he's going to start. He's going to be a really good player. Andrew Thomas, uh, probably the, the, the best of the bunch Love at him. this point in time from Georgia. He's got another Georgia tackle, Isaiah Wilson, who's going to be a good NFL starter. I watched a kid at Boise, Ezra Cleveland, mm. um, a nice second-round type guy. Uh, Austin Jackson from USC's a borderline, uh, potentially a first-round type player. And there's a you know you've got Trey Adams from Washington, who's a good player. Um, we've got uh, kids at, at Alabama. Alex Leatherwood's probably going to kick inside and play guard. But the other tackle there is a really good player in, in Jedrick Willis. Walker Little's been hurt at Stanford. He's going to miss the season. We'll see what his decision is. He's an NFL starter. There are a lot of quality offensive tackles um, that, that, that are much needed when you look at the bad teams in the NFL. I think that's good news for them. Yeah, they're much needed. But I'm, I'm going to say you talk about them being in demand for the offensive guys. I believe because there's such a demand, I think you'll see it also working counter. Like there are a lot of pass rushers, like teams are just going to cover the pass rush because that's the only way to really disrupt it. And so we've talked about this guy numerous times on the podcast, but Chase Thomas, to me, the more I look at him, the more I just kind of fall in love with his overall oh, ability. Chase Young. Yeah. Chase Young. Like it, his overall ability, his ability to come off the edge. He plays with power. He plays with uh, the physicality and toughness that you want to see. And more importantly, he's a finisher. So there's a value to being able to get the quarterback down. And I know people have a tendency to just kind of fall in love with the flashes this dude flashes and flashes and flashes so much so that he's gonna spark a fire i think he's a terrific prospect i'm excited to watch him continue to play against big time competition yeah no doubt he's big time big time dude so we've got running back depth in this this draft we've talked about that previously i feel good about the corner group that's really good we've got quarterback group all of a sudden you start kind of putting the pieces together as you continue to watch more and more of these positions more and more of these players uh the receiver group has got a chance to be outstanding uh when you look at judy and chenault and all the alabama kids rugs um, it is a really, really good group. Maybe the, the most surprising thing is Devontae Smith from Alabama with the other two studs, the numbers he's been posting. Um, but it is a good, good draft with a lot of depth uh, thus far, that early look we have at the 2020 draft, which is good news if you're a fan of the Miami Dolphins. I can promise you that. Uh, you got a bunch of picks. you got a bunch of options. Uh, all right, Buck, football is back. Watch live, local, and primetime NFL games for free all season long with the Yahoo Sports app or the official app of the NFL on your phone or tablet. Plus, get all your latest breaking news, highlights, and more. Download the NFL app or the Yahoo Sports app in your app store or at nfl.com slash mobile today. Certain restrictions and data rates may apply. Uh, what are you working on this week, Buck? Anything good? Man, I'm just trying to put it together, but I know there's going to be a section on Garner Minshew. This, it, it, his explosion, his uh, rise up the ladder is something that has made me go back and reevaluate the way that I look at quarterbacks. I think I'm going to have to f- come up with another formula to figure out which quarterbacks can play and which ones will be really, really good as a pro. All right. Well, speaking of that, I've got an article that's going to post on uh, NFL.com here shortly on the top 25 rookies through the first quarter of the season. Spoiler alert, Buck, number one on the list, Gardner Minshew. Oh. How about that? Throw him number one. Look, it's been the most impressive what he's done for that team. And uh, you're going to see if you're a fan of the Giants, you're going to feel good about this list. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are well represented on this list. So uh, be on the lookout for that NFL. Dot com. I want to thank you guys for listening, downloading, subscribing to the podcast. And again, if you have any questions for us, I know we do have a couple new ones in there. Uh, just leave us a, a review, a rating there on Apple Podcasts. Drop a question in there. We will answer it on our Thursday episodes each mm-hmm. and every week. Uh, so appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next week right here on Move the Sticks. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to NFL.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home getting ready to take on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets real steel Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 